previously on Overthinking and Recap 24. We still have time! Ryan! Pete! It's Matt! I just came from the cold brew coffee and I, I had to talk to you. There's something else. And it changes everything. But he had been working uh, with some uh, uh, artisanal cold brew technology. Matt rather had access to cold brew technology. It's bigger than coffee. The cold brew technology with it, you can cold brew anything. Goat cheese comes from Google Ads, G for G. Blue cheese is actually coming from uh, from Amazon. Oh. Uh, Amazon affiliate links. So oh, there you go. So for me, the Downton Abbey moment was when Audrey goes into the president's office and says, you're not supposed to have alcohol with your pills, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the president holds up a glass of what looks like just vodka on the rocks and goes... Just the one. Right. And, like, takes a big, hard swallow. Well, also, I think he's, like, swallowing it already while yeah, he's yeah. saying that. And he kind of, because I think that his first response is to give a thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. He exactly. gives a <laughs> thumbs up and swallows. Eric, this is Ben. Do you have the cold brew technology? Have you been feeding the information that we talked about to Pete and Ryan? Ben? Hey, Ben. It's Ryan and Pete. The following takes place between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. Wait a minute. Ben thought he was calling Eric. So that must mean that this is Eric's phone. And it was just sitting here on the counter next to the fig compote. Huh. So... That must mean... Well, if Eric's phone is here, then Eric must be... Hey, has anyone seen my phone? Um, I'm expecting a totally non-suspicious call on it. Eric! Uh, Eric! Eric! I thought you were dead! Hey, what are you doing? Hey, guy. Uh, no, no, still alive. Um, oh, oh, hey, the cold brew is still going, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, it should be done soon. Here's your phone. Now, I think that you have a little bit of explaining that you have to do, Eric. We talked uh, to Ben. We know things. I want full immunity. Now, Eric, we've been friends for a long time, and you need to come clean with us about what is going on with this cold brew technology and the conspiracies and the and the screams that you had when somebody was knocking on your door. Look, are you going to come clean with us, or we're going to have to take you down to the uh, overthinking it torture room? Look, I don't know how far up this goes, okay? All I know is that the cold brew technology... Is in everything. Okay, you're going to have to give us more than that. We are running out of time. Matt is in the hospital. There is it. We only have one more episode of this recap to figure out what's going on. If you don't give us what we need to know right now, and we mean names, we are going to take you down to the overthinking of torture room, and we will finish this down there. Look, I, I don't have any names. You, you can torture me all you want. All I know is that you need to follow the money. Ryan, I think he's being perfectly clear about what needs to happen right now. Yeah. 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 All right. You could pull that lever over there. I'm going to start escorting our friend here down to the torture room. No! All right. Come on. Come with me. Come with me. No. No. You can't make me. I'm making you right now. Come on. I've got your pinky. Come on, come on. Okay, 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 okay. All right, okay. I'll bend it back. You pull, I'll push. All right, okay. All right, I've got the head. I've, I've got the head. Cradle the head. I don't want him to injure his neck. All right. Ooh, here we yep. go. Yep. And, and I've secured his arms and legs. All right, and I am pushing up the lever. And here we are in the torture room. All right, Eric. 
you need to talk to us right now. Okay, well, and we're I'm not, we are being totally serious. What was the Downton Abbey moment in the 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. episode of 24? Um, wow, the Downton Abbey moment. Uh... To clarify, that is the moment where a conversation about something unrelated to the main plot of the story provides a doorway for interpretation into the episode. We are yeah, not but, kidding around. Yeah, we don't have time to explain this again. Okay, the Downton Abbey moment for this episode. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. You can torture me all you want. I don't. I don't. Uh, Ryan. Pete, Pete I yeah. think he's. Listen, the polygraph machine says that he's telling the truth. All right. Well, maybe if we continue a little bit of the conversation ourselves, he'll he'll come around. Ryan, what do you think was the down nappy uh, moment all right. in this episode? For me, I actually thought there were two moments. Okay. Um. So maybe. So that's part of why I think Eric's telling the truth mm-hmm. is that, in fact, trying to isolate one moment may be. Um, maybe a red herring in this episode. Um, so there were two uh, moments early in the episode that I felt um, were, helped to clue me into what was going on and kind of became the lens through which I saw the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. So early on, there is a scene after the gunfight ends. Um, Jack looks at the tracker uh, that has the uh, they tracking the, the um, like the the tracking device that's on uh, the override, and he says, "I still have a clean signal." Uh, the override device hasn't moved, uh, which is, of course, not true. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, um, and then uh, later on, once he gets there, discovers that Adrian Cross and all of Adrian's Cross's um, merry band of WikiLeaksers uh, are dead. Um, and then he calls the president. Um, the first thing he says, well, the first thing you hear in the call in the president is a lot of room noise. It's a lot of hubbub, and he says. Mr. President, I'm sorry about the noise. Can you hear me? And the president says, loud and clear, Jack. Or maybe <laughs> just loud and clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I think – what I saw in these two is um, – are the, are the two of the, the key words here are signal and noise. Um, and especially uh, – and so I, what I saw a lot of going on in this episode is – um, is about the sending and receiving of messages um, and in kind of uh, the lack and in the, the kind of fuzz or disconnect between um, a, a reality and the things kind of sending the signal uh, and, and the noise and the things, whether that is uh, the uh, a, a uncertainty about what is true and what's not uh, or what's relevant and what's not relevant uh, or what is current and what is out of date. Mm. Um, and so that... Uh, there's a lot of uh, cases in this uh, in this episode where there are things people assert that things are true that we now know are not true anymore. And one of the big ones is, you know, that's nonsense. Chang is dead. Uh, right. Which is what the, the Chinese yeah. president says to to Heller. Um, and, and uh, you know, early on, um, you know, uh, earlier on, Audrey says he was dead. Everyone said he was dead. And there's a number of times um uh, throughout the episode where um, you know people are uh, either trying to uh, assert what is going on with a high degree of certainty or um, or grasping and flailing at the uncertainty about what is going on so mm. I felt there was that that those two scenes tied to, tied that together for me um, and also kind of tied together this meta um, you know this this structural feature of 24 episodes where 
you know, the the goalposts move and what it is, what is going on changes from episode to episode. Uh, and 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 I think that this was uh, this is an episode where, um, you know, we, we see that mechanism focused on a little bit uh, mm. more. Uh, what 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 jumped out for you? Oh, for me? Uh, well, I was going to ask our friend here if that jogged his memory at all. Um, but let me let's hear what you have first. Uh, I, 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 ultimately, we have this room, but I'm still more of a carrots rather than sticks kind of guy. <laughs> like Eric, do you, do you want some do you want some orange slices? Oh, do we uh, still have some of those? Yeah, I, I you know I I, I restocked in the uh, in the kitchen. Oh, 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 bust them out, bust them out, bust them out. All right, all right, all right I'll talk. Listen, I'll right, talk I'm about gonna, my I'm interpretation. Into thirds, one third for you, Pete. One right. third, uh, uh, one third for me, and then Eric. I mean, I'm still not going to release you from the restraints, so I will just feed this to you right here. Okay, that, See, that's you know, good. I'm much more comfortable with this than with our original plan of torturing him. Uh, deep down, I'm really not a Jack Bauer kind of guy. I'm much more of a kind of Mark Boudreau wrestling the the Russian through the window kind of guy. Um, okay, so my interpretation of what you're saying, uh, I feel like it's part of what's going on. This episode was really, really tough to parse. I thought it was a bit mm-hmm. confused. I felt like it wasn't exactly clear what was going on. Uh Eric looks like the Godfather, which is hilarious with the orange in his mouth. Um, but, but, uh, but that it was, um, you know, it was like a, a B plus in some of the ratings that I read, which seemed about right. But reading it again, for me, the Downton Abbey moment is tricky because it happens super duper early in the episode. It's one of the first lines in the episode, and it is the. And this is, of course, one of the things that we've been talking about. Twenty four doing is very drastically changing things about the show at the beginning of every episode, and one of the advisors. It's a sort of throwaway conversation that happens as we get going is talking about the targets that Adrian Cross is going to use the override device on, right? And he says his targets are likely the places he's publicly denounced in the past. Um, This is wrong, by the way, because this isn't what Adrian Cross was planning to do at all. Um, But it is the driving energy. That assumption, I felt like, was the driving energy of the episode. But it's an assumption that has a ton of different sorts of inversions. The relationship between – because the episode isn't about uh, lashing out at people that you've denounced in the past. It's about lashing out in retaliation. Uh, against people who have la- who have denounced you in the past or done something to you in the past, it's about like inevitable retaliation, and that's <laughs> why uh, it's it's like a Cold War game theory kind of Rand Corporation kind yeah. of episode. It's about like the escalation, but it spills over into all the different areas of the story. So. In this sense, the sending and receiving of messages is super-duper important. Uh, right. And the idea of some people getting the message, some people not getting the message, I, it really drives the, the, the story. But I feel like it drives the story because the um, people's actions are necessary consequences of the information that they find out about what people have been doing to them. Right? It's like, okay, if – Chang has actually done this, then we can respond in this different way. But until we believe that, we have to respond in the way that we're doing. It's like, we don't have a choice. Uh, Another moment that reinforced this, I thought, was um, the scene where the president is explaining to the Chinese president what has happened. And it's pretty clear that the Chinese president is like, understands the politics of the situation and can't just pull back for no reason. Um, And the Chinese president poses to the American president the captain acted on his own initiative and asks him sort of in a, as if is this is an absurd suggestion. And the president says, no, sir, I'm not telling you that. 
right? right. And, and so for this, I think that that's important, that almost nobody in this episode is acting on their own initiative. They're all acting in response to things that have happened to them in the past. And they're also, a lot of them are getting revenge on people who have hurt them in the past. Yeah. And the, uh, the other big inversion is like the big Audrey moment, right? <laughs> Where like you think she's going to get revenge on what's happened in the past, but in fact, she is merely going to relive the horrible trauma yeah. of what has happened to her in the past. Um, so it's being flipped up and down and backwards and forwards. Yeah, no, I think that that's I think that that's right. I do think that they are um, they're they're two pieces of of this, right? Because I think that so I think that uh, you know an hour ago we were talking. It's interesting where um, how twenty four as the seasons move on oscillate between being kind of domestics politics based pieces or organizational pieces mm-hmm. to being like international relations pieces uh, insofar as there are kind of a, a realm of politics that they focus on. Um, and this is like a moment where this one where um, it's, it's focused. I mean, the, the, it kind of, it's interesting. It kind of starts with some international elements uh, in the kind of, you know, about these treaty relationships between the um, United States and the UK. And then it kind of focuses in on some organizational dynamics when we're in, in the episodes on bosses and, and architecture uh, and responsibility. And now we're kind of zooming back out to a, um, a, a uh, international landscape. And I, I think that why I'm, why I'm saying that is that, you know, um, an hour ago, uh, I was talking a little bit about, you know, different theories of uh, international relations and kind of as it relates related to Adrian Cross um, and his his sense of like, you know, how he could change the world. And I think that um, so I, I think that why um, the information piece is is important and is not just kind of um, ephemeral or, or secondary uh, to this is that. You know, part of in in international relations theory, you know, part of why um, information, kind of asymmetric information or noisy signals, are important. Part uh, important uh, is that if you if your signals are well, if you have full information about the intentions of your uh, adversary, then you you should be able to bargain to a um, a solution to a dispute that is mutually preferable to war. Right, and and this is this is actually like um, the subject of a huge literature and a big paper, um, like one of the big like. There's actually a scholarly literature on this uh, by uh, the, the big guys. James Fearon wrote a paper called "Rationalist Explanations for War" that says, you know, the re- part of the, one of the major reasons why people why why states. Uh, re- retaliate and escalate conflicts rather than uh, negotiating um, and avoiding the the cost of war, which neither would prefer having, is that there are uncertainty about um, about motivation uh, and 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 that kind of fuels uh, mistrust. Uh, and in a case of anarchy, where there's not a third party that can bind agreements, then um, then the then these things escalate. So that I, I see that, um, and then there and then there's you know actually been. Um, extensions of that that also then add layers of um, you know domestic politics uh, and and kind of domestic demands for retaliation uh, into this picture and you know again to speak of that scene uh, of the the teleconferencers not really teleconference but Skype call basically between uh, Heller and um, the Chinese president um, there's a very interesting shot uh, when like uh, Heller near the end of the call says well if we deliver 
the device and Chang to you, uh, will that be enough? And there's this pause, and then the shot that it shows is the it shows again the room of people of of advisors and presumably kind of you know the rest of the the Politburo um, uh, that are also watching this. And and what I I saw there is that there is a, a kind of domestic politics audience that has a certain that that then constrains this Chinese president, right? So that this international negotiation has um, this second layer of, of of audience to it, and 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 right after they show that, he says, "Well, this to us." He essentially says that this looks like an act of war to us, um, and so that there's these um, these layers of uh, you know this this dynamic of, of these dynamics of retaliation and what you think has been done to you um, is relates to. You know, in some ways, this this not only what someone has done to you and and who did it, um, but also your perception that they did that to you. Um, and so the, 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 there's this kind of sense of retaliation of act and cause and effect uh, in um, in this L, uh, in this environment of um, of uncertainty and and kind of fog fogginess um, about uh, who is who is around and what what they're doing and what their intentions are. Yeah, and one of the things that struck me while watching this is that Jack Bauer refers to what's going on as as an intelligence operation. Yeah, right. And of course, this is this broadly interp- This is a very broadly interpreted idea of what the purpose of intelligence is, right? If it's like an if it's an intelligence operation and it's already launching missiles that blow up, launching torpedoes that blow up aircraft carriers, right? Like, what does that say about the role of knowledge in politics uh, and the role of information in politics, right? If it's about kind of the gathering and, and control of information, then that does imply a necessary relationship between information and action. Right. Well, right. Um, it's like if it's like not only is knowledge power, but power is also knowledge. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Hey, Eric, uh, do you want some some honey uh, to go with? I, I I sometimes like putting honey on orange slices. I don't know if you guys ever do that. Um, uh, yeah, uh, from well, time to I time. Can, well, I mean, I'm sorry. I just I wasn't sure if I could spit the orange slice out of my mouth. Uh, but yeah, some honey would be nice. I just um. You know. you know what? Let's. You know, I'm I'm kind of feeling like you know I was I was pretty jacked up before, but I, I'm feeling like we should probably like let Eric out of his restraints. Okay, you loosen him up a little bit. Here, let me see if I can turn the lights on. Okay, uh, Eric, how many oh, lights? That's... I just hit the switch. How many lights are on? Uh, I see. I see. Uh, four lights. Okay, how about now? Uh, there are four lights. Okay, how about now? There are four lights. I just hit the switch for five lights. There should be five lights. There are four lights. There. Are you sure that there aren't five lights? This is only one of the ways in which people can be compelled to retaliate in a circumstance where it might not necessarily, in the strictest sense, be in their interest to retaliate, or even more so that it's against their interest, that they feel like they don't have a choice, that there's mm-hmm. a mechanism that's preventing them from feeling, because you know, 24 is about drama as much as it is about anything else, and it's about people making choices, and it's about people who have feelings and relationships, right? And, like, the, the individual relationships are, are representative of and connected to the larger geopolitical problems. And so there are a lot of people who are compelled to do things, right? Like, um, Which is what you're saying is, Eric, we're sorry we restrained you. <laughs> I know. We, like, we, there's a certain amount of freedom. I mean, we're still in the torture room. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Moving on. Mechanisms that prevent people from acting in the way that they would choose to act, that, that make them feel like they're restrained, right, in terms of being able to act independently. Um, Jack talking to Audrey, right, about their right. relationship, 
right? And about Mark, and he's talking about Mark Boudreau, but she doesn't know that he's talking about Mark Boudreau. Well, right, it's amazing, right? Where yeah. he calls her and is a, and she and he's like, you know, look, I need to, and she goes, kill him. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> Because, you know, yeah, because that didn't even occur to me that Jack was like, who's calling and was like, I need to do this thing with your husband. And she's like, kill him. And he's like, like, all right. Okay. Conversation. I'm not going to ask any follow up. Yeah. That's what I want to hear. Oh, man. That would be a hilarious mistaken identity. But I thought you said I was talking about the Chinese right. rogue intelligence officer. Yeah. It's, 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 the, the last hour becomes the importance of being Jack Bauer. Right? <laughs> I well, mean, they, are, they are in England. So, that's you true. Know. Eric, did you have exactly. any? Do you have any take on Jack and Audrey's relationship at this point in the story? I – yes. This is very much um, – I mean I, it's one of those things where, you know, Audrey seems like kind of like a rational person. But, yeah, she wants, the, you know, this guy – she wants uh, Chang killed, you know, and it's sort of – you know, he just pushed her so far and she is looking for that sort of ultimate retribution against him. Right. Um, which is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, shows sort of like what they've both been through. Um, but also that, yeah, she, uh, I don't know. She's kind of done with Mark at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she isn't even, Mark isn't even close to on her mind at this point. No. So yeah, go for it, Ryan. No, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's it's interesting is that she's not even thinking about him. And so that, that, or like, you know, it, it, or what is, you know, coming down the road. She's not also thinking that there's going to be a sniper trained on her. Right. <laughs> um, and so that, you know, her set uh, of the, the range of possibility of what needs to be done is like, you know, uh, getting the override device and like Chang. Right. Uh, and that there are like, she does not know. She she can't conceptualize a that there is a piece of this that involves Mark, uh, and b there's going to be a piece of us that involves her with a sniper trained on her. Right, and right, so right. you know that what needs to be done um, in, in twenty four is a rapidly, you know, changing. You, you, those are words you. Ne- I mean, it's weird. You never want to say that in twenty four because when you say that. It, it like it almost is like the magic words that then change what needs to be done <laughs> to yeah. a thing that you do not re- that you're much less okay with. <laughs> um, and she thinks she's okay with you know like Zhang being killed, but like that there are going to be you know she th- that the uh, you know Mark cla- uh, you know wrestling Baron von Mustache through a a plate glass uh. window uh, and uh, <laughs> and then uh, and and. You know, presumably there will be, uh, you know, and again, we've been pretty bad on uh, most of our predictions, but I predict that Jack is going to have to make a um, decision that could, in fact, lead to Audrey getting shot. Uh, right. And, and that seems to be, um, you know, um, in the umbrella of things that were authorized in this kind of bl- uh, this blanket, um, this, this, this kind of elastic clause that she gave him. Well, let, let's let's touch base quickly on because there's a couple different directions we can go from here. Right. Um, one of them I want to come back to is this idea of I of 
trying to do a nice thing for somebody who is nice to you in a backdrop of an environment where everybody is trying to do mean things to people who are mean to them and how like various attempts to be nice to the person who is nice to you which is what jack says to audrey right is like i was doing this to help your father right like he's a really good guy he's a great he's a good he's a good man he's a good man right and then audrey of course is like well i have this friend and we were on a business trip together we had a great time and i think we're buddies right we sang karaoke exactly we all went out to bed again God. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, but it was great. And then Mark, of course, being like, I, I did this for my country and for the president, and that's why I'm doing it, right? But um, but putting a pin in that and and, and those sorts of themes, what is this? What do you guys think about the convergence of the plot on Baron von Mustache and the Russians? And where does that leave us in the story right now? Like, I mean, did you like it? I, that's a very surface level question for overthinking it, and that's one I don't particularly like to ask. But I feel like it has to be addressed. That it just goes comes down to the Russians. Yeah, that that the that the this because it feels like it's a misdirection at first because we know that the Russians didn't go to pick up Jack just because he was chasing uh, Chang. We know no. the Russians are picking up Jack. It was supposed to be like a weird coincidence that the Russians were picking up Jack because Mark had signed the order to remand him to their custody. And it just was a weird 24-ish coincidence that they happened to be happening at the same time. But no, it turns out it's actually all part of the same story, and, and, it's, and it's pretty simple. Uh, I mean – Yeah, I, I, my, uh, one of my favorite parts is just Jack's exasperation with Mark when he's like – the guy you were talking to was a Russian intelligence agent. Oh well, that's a whole the whole the the cruel. Yeah, cruel I definitely want to return to like he's an intelligence uh, agent. You idiot! You idiot! Yeah. It's the meanest thing that Jack Power has said all season is to call Mark Boudreaux an idiot in front of the president. He's so mean, and it's just like I, I, so... I actually thought he was going to like grab Mark's hand and start saying, "Stop hitting yourself!" Yeah. Stop hitting yourself. It's like crueler than actually torturing him is yeah. to like call him an idiot in front of his boss and in front of his wife's father, right? Like, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but 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 just like I mean that that it circles back. Well, first of all, it circles back on Baron von Mustache, but Baron Mustache is now dead, right? Like, is right. that, is that, is, is he not dead? I mean, he's, he's pretty dead. dead. No, he's definitely dead. He's totally dead, right? And so, at this point, we're left in a situation where it's not clear who the conspiracy actually goes up to. Like, we don't really know. I, I have a prediction. It's not a serious prediction. It's going to be the Serbians. The Serbians. <laughs> oh, yeah. Isn't the guy, what happened to, what happened oh, to the Serbian guy? Is he still yeah. in the car? He let the yeah, president go. At one point. Uh, we haven't seen him. We haven't. We actually haven't. Uh, we haven't seen him. What if like the Serbian guy is like a, also a cousin of like Victor Drazen's, and it all comes and it's season <laughs> one again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's got to be some huge reveal coming in the last episode. It's Tony. Al- it's it's got to be Tony Almeida, Almeida, right? It's got to be Tony. It's Tony Almeida has to be involved, right? Like in some way. I miss him so much. Come back to us, Tony. We all, yeah. we all miss Tony. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. 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 CTU Almeida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. it's But yeah, but so we'll see. Hopefully there's... I mean, I, what are the circumstances in which we could get more fan service? Maybe, like, Jack gets into a final showdown and, like, they call in all the operatives in London to help him out. <laughs> and, like, Tony Almeida shows up and he's like, I was working covert at Hyde Park, like, busting busting homeless people for drinking. Um, and Bill Buchanan shows up. Yeah, Bill Buchanan. Hope you can all the dead. Do you, is is Jack Bauer going to die? And is he going to have visions of all of the people that have died? Oh, gonna, Maybe Jack's been dead the whole time, and this is like. <laughs> no, I think I think Pete's right. I think it's going to be like the end of Les Miserables, 
uh, <laughs> where, where Jack dies and then just everyone comes out and they start singing. One day I more. the dream of 24. <laughs> it's, it's one more day. It's one day more is what yeah, it is. Yeah, that's actually really true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so circling back to talking about the episode, the individual oh, right. episode. Uh, so, okay. So we've established that there's a lot of messages that are going back and forth, and there's a lot of people who are lashing out at, uh, as, out of necessity. Um, one of the really cool moments... Um, uh, in this, in this sort of another something that was almost the Downton Abbey moment, except that I felt like it was a level too esoteric uh, to provide the real doorway into what was happening, and also probably best overall moment of the episode, I think, is the one where Chang is asking the guy how the truck is going to escape, the cargo is not going to be read on the Port Authority manifest, and he's like, well, you see, they only inspect 2% of their lead pipe to the face! (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, which is so poetic when you think about it, right? Yeah. Because, like, here, what is he trying to do? He's trying to do the thing that is orthogonal to what the episode is about. He's saying, look, nobody is going to care that we're there. There are going to be no consequences. Most of the time you can just go on the boat and it's fine. <laughs> so we're going to take our shot that it's only that is a 98% chance that no one is going to retaliate at us for well, taking right, this device right. on the boat. He's basically right? saying rare like rare events never happen and then <laughs> Chloe hits him in the head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Eric, did you want to chime in on it? Oh no, I just like that part where Chloe gets the guy in the head. Okay, yeah. How many lights are there, Eric? There, there are four lights. Thank you. All right, are you sure? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but so, okay, so Chloe hits the guy in the head. So this is an interesting moment, though. The interesting moment is Chloe goes into the woods and gets goes into a coma, right? Or she she gets a concussion and she gets knocked out, right, for about thirty minutes, right? She takes a nap. She takes a nap. Um, interesting parallel. So, so. Because because what is Cheng talking about immediately before Chloe hits everybody with the lead pipe? Um, is is he saying how are we going to avoid detection? And this I thought was an interesting, perhaps unintentional, but intention. I'm not a big fan of that mattering. Um, uh, parallel to what happened earlier with Jack's plan to anesthetize Kate so that she couldn't be tortured by the arms dealer. Right. Right. So oh, it's wow. like so so how is how is Chloe going to escape detection? Well, she's going to be unconscious, right? Like the the this like there are certain ways that you can actually avoid detection. Uh, there's certain ways that you can actually avoid the consequences of your actions, but merely relying on luck is not one of them. Uh, although Jack Bauer does it all the time, yeah. but uh, but it doesn't count when it's Jack Bauer. At that point, it's pure skill. Uh, but yeah, but it's like close. But so we are going to try to sneak onto the boat and avoid the inspectors because we're going to avoid the random checks. Chloe's going to avoid us by just like going the F unconscious, and then she's going to be out of the picture, right? I just well, thought that it, was it interesting. Is, it's also interesting is that if you are trying to stay out of the picture, you do a worse job than if, like, nature forces you out. Right? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That, like, yeah. you know, that you can actually be your own worst enemy by trying to be under the radar. Yeah. Uh, but what, because what you think is under the radar uh, is, in fact, a lot louder than you think it is. Right. And so, but being, there's, there's nothing beats being unconscious. <laughs> right. It is interesting. 24 does have this sense of sort of cosmic intervention on behalf of the themes of each of its 
given episodes yeah. where when people do things that are against the will of the episode, even though the episode changes, right? Each new episode has different things that are being punished or rewarded. Uh, and in this particular episode, you're rewarded if you're doing something that you have to do and you're punished if you're doing something that's sort of optional or loosey-goosey. See, right? that's... That's interesting. I've, 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 I, I believe twenty four op- the twenty four universe operates under a similar idea. Um, I've always interpreted it as you know doing what's in favor of like Jack Bauer's momentum, mm. which I guess might, might be the same thing. But I mean, I don't want to drag this back too far. But like, I remember um, you know. Chappelle in season three was going up against Jack Bauer all the time. And what happens? He gets shot in the head by Jack Bauer. Uh, and then like, you know, season, is it four? Who's the, is it, oh, is it Driscoll? I don't remember who the, the, the one with the crazy daughter. The one with the crazy daughter. Uh, just, just keep, just keep telling the story. Yeah. Sorry. The one with the crazy daughter, you know, is riding Jack Bauer. Like just, you know, obstructing him at every point and then all of a sudden like her daughter kills herself and she has to go away you know mm-hmm. i i don't know maybe i'm well, getting a little right or or in here. season five uh sean astin who is like uh blocking like buchanan uh, yeah. and audrey all the way uh eventually uh a like gets his id stolen by his like coke addict sister and then that allows the guys to come in uh and uh and and kind of nerve gas ctu and then he has right. to go like die while saving everyone else right and so yeah. That they're, but, but yeah they're, i mean that's an interesting idea of thinking about the relationship between kind of jack's momentum and the thematic momentum or narrative momentum of the the um the 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 episode because i think they're they're not exactly the same um but they're in harmony with each other and they're kind of it's similar i mean in some ways it's almost similar in that you know um that there are these two kinds there's there's the jack voices that you know that are that are jack right the things that Kiefer sutherland performs as jack and then there's also the like, you know, the following takes place between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m., which is not which is Kiefer Th- Sutherland, but not Jack. Um, and it's, it's so because it's his voice, it um, it resonates with uh, and and uh, and, and it, we, we associate it with with Jack, with Jack's voice and the mm-hmm. things that Jack says. But it's also a different um, it's a counterpoint to it in some way. Right. So there's these two. Um, I don't know exactly what, what the the right metaphor to use, but it, it seems like there are these these two levels of momentum um, that are working at kind of like almost like different like almost different like orders of magnitude or something like that. Like a different like I don't know. Does, is any of this like making sense? I, I'm I, I, there's something in both of these that seems. Um, plausible, and and I think that kind of understanding the interplay reveals something kind of important about like a a br- deeper structure of twenty four. Maybe there's sort of an idea of this idea of free will versus predestination, where hmm. you know Jack is sort of the ultimate representative of free will and action, and you know there is forces sort of pushing him forward in that regard, but at the same time there are these themes in each episode and that's sort of more of a predestination thing 
Uh, and, there, you know, there are forces pushing for that. And one thing I was going to say is you're right. It can't just be, you know, people suffer for obstructing Jack, because if that was true, Eric would have been dead by now or right. something. Because, right. you know, they have not gotten along yeah. at all. No. Yeah. No. I, I think that um, that they've made so much 24 that to keep it interesting, they've had to modulate the relationship of everything that's going on around Jack and Jack. Because you're right in that the momentum of Jack moving forward, that's like the very – I don't want to speak disdainfully of it. It's the very surface-level explanation of what's happening, which is mm-hmm. that Jack has to keep doing what he's doing for the entire season, and everything else that's kind of happening around him has to – deal with either either help him do it or hinder him from doing it right or intersect with what he's doing at some point somewhere up and down the line and then the the question that we're talking about is that okay that's the case then then in each particular instance why is it happening one of the phenomenon we identified in one of the earlier episodes the one with the um the one where the the uh military unit is busting into the uh the comms room right in the c in the in the uh in the cia office or wherever it was um is that sometimes the big events that 24 is an ensemble show where it has lots of different characters and sometimes the big events that happen in the episode are people who happen to be in the sort of area of Jack Bauer those are the people who experience them not Jack Bauer right he's not always the protagonist of any given scene mm. sometimes he's a force of nature that other right. people have to deal with um, and then when we talk about oh. doing things that are involuntary like I feel like Jack Bauer is a symbol but and not a metaphor Right, that like in the sense that he represents a variety of different things, and he represents them at different times, and sometimes he also, in representing multiple things, articulates the differences between those things. So, for example, uh, in this episode, Jack Bauer is driven inexorably forward to hunt down uh, Baron von Mustache and Chang. Uh, mm-hmm. bec- and he has this sense of sort of – there's this sense that it's personal, right? It's this guy that tortured him in the past, and there's also a nuclear war that's going to happen, right? And so like – so there is, an, there is just an inevitability to what Jack is doing, and he doesn't necessarily have control over whether he's doing it or not. But at the same time, he's the main motive force. If we compare this to like when Jack was bringing the president to Wembley Stadium – Right, Jack was also doing something that was necessary and that he was being forced to do. Right, mm-hmm. and it was something that was that was, but it was because of his loyalty to the president that he was doing it. That was the reason why, and also just the whole failure to come up with any other uh, successful leads. So these are very different reasons for this yeah. sort of for Jack to be providing this big force. But on a surface level. They're very similar because it's like, okay, it's the momentum of Jack to pursue over the course of the story. That's one of the things that really impresses me about 24 because we've talked on these episodes. I like the close reading stuff. Like that's what I really enjoy from a critical standpoint is like digging into these individual scenes, pulling out the things that are interesting, looking how they relate to each other and the patterns and stuff. I like that stuff. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff about 24 that also works. Like the individual action action sequences are exciting and novel Mm -hmm. and fun, right? Like the the general – characters that appear are interesting variations on stock characters right like then some of them are new and some of them are, are old and there's familiarity and there's invention um, well, and and the conventions like at this point like you say there have been so many 24s that there is a um relatively fixed set of conventions that exist but there is a 
you know, possibly, you know, given there are uh, a enough enough conventions, the ways and the sequence in which they can be combined is a you know is is kind of the number of conventions factorial uh, or some yeah. more you know com- complex yeah. combinatorics. So there's this pleasure in in every um, season or every episode, you know, every you know unit of twenty four, um, you'll be getting a different mix of these. Uh, these these tropes happening, and so that even though there are certain rhythms of a twenty four, these kind of circadian rhythms of of Jack Bauer, um, in any given season, they're actually they feel a little different because they're um they're deployed in slightly different sequences, and so there's still something that is. Yeah, I think we um you said this uh you know maybe you know hours ago now, Pete, that like um that 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 for something that has you know so many kind of stock. You know, tropes. It still manages to be tremendously surprising. Yes. Um. Yeah. And 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 I think that 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 combination is really uh is really interesting. And the the, the, the kind of the way that these elements recombine um gives a a, a lot of variety uh, rather than a sense of being really really static. There are two things that repeat in this episode, one right after the other, from earlier in the season that were, I thought were particularly interesting. We're talking about sort of repeating cliches. Yeah. Um, and this is the same scene where the president is trying to figure out whether to retaliate. Well, this is the scene where he's with his advisors and he's trying to figure out um, whether to raise the threat level, right? Mm-hmm. Raise right. the nuclear threat level, which he doesn't want to do because he wants to – he still feels like he's in control of the situation and he still feels like he can avoid escalating it. Because he's he's the one who's kind of swimming upstream against this idea that well things are happening and you know Adrian Cross is going to retaliate against people right like like that's what's going to happen now and the two right. things are he drops his pills mm-hmm. right and the pills are on the ground in front of everybody and suddenly the sort of vulnerability of his illness and him like being on the ground with the pills is brought into like very sharp relief and is out in front of everybody and is something that he can't avoid. Right. And right. so he's sort of reminded of his own vulnerability and perhaps also like the sort of things that might undermine his own authority that he's been dealing with all day. And that hits him. And then he gets up. He gets all the pills together with his buddy, the advisor who he's trusted this whole time, who's probably a lizard person or something. Uh, and, and he gets up and they ask him if he's going to raise the threat level. And he does like an imitation, like a half imitation of the face that he makes when he's staring up into the into Wembley Stadium as the mm. missile is about to hit. Remember, he has this sort of like old man of the mountain, like Eddie the Eagle, like 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 sides of his chin or sides of his mouth are down, bottom of his mouth is like all the way up, right? And he's just like proud and equiline and and chiseled out of very wrinkly stone right and uh <laughs> and and he does that sort of i mean i used to make that face a lot as a kid that sort of like super upside upside down frown face and he makes that face like for a brief moment as if he's kind of convincing himself that he's doing this out of steadfastness right and then he sort of says in a very kind of vulnerable and somewhat res- resigned way raise the threat level mm-hmm. right like it's almost like he's thinking of saying it like an action movie president and then he's <laughs> like ah i can't pull that off i have my pills Right, um, but just think about the 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 way the president's Alzheimer's has been employed throughout this season has just had so many wonderful little notes of subtlety and interaction with everything else that's been happening around him. Yeah, um, and, and there's actually another piece of of the president in that same scene that I noticed as well, and I I noticed this a few times throughout the episode. Um, but what the, I think the biggest uh, most salient one comes I think just before he drops his pills, which is when um, the the Chinese take out the. Sa- 
satellites. They're like a missile has been wa- uh, launched, uh, and and uh, they're wa- looking at the monitors, and the monitors go out, and the president goes, "What's happening? Where are all the visuals?" <laughs> and it, 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 you know, it just sounds like when I've dealt with like older members of my family being like, "Where's the mouse? Where'd the mouse?" Elko, <laughs> um, and and that it was just very kind of like, and there were several times throughout the episode where he was simultaneously like both like an old man and a little kid being like, but where is it going? What are they going to do? <laughs> um, like, and it was, it, and it was like this kind of, and it it actually. It felt like, I mean, it, the tone reminds me of, like, it's like the help I've fallen and I can't get up. Right? Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Like uh, commercials. Um, and so there was that element. So, and so that's another, you know, again, if we're in this thing where these themes are being capitulated, like in this episode for President Heller, we get like a lot of the the themes of President Heller coming back. Yeah. Um, the other thing that came back is also him putting on his Skype blazer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep, <laughs> right. Yep. right? The, the, when he goes over to talk to the uh, um, to the Chinese president, it's at the same mirror where he talks to Margot and he puts his blazer on in the same way, um, lest that anyone they talk to think that he is anything other than formal and presidential at yeah. all times. So but there's right. also some interesting other um, repetitions. And one that you just brought up that it just sort of struck me, right? Um, there's repetitions within the episode that set up a little bit of uh, of motif kind of um, context, kind of like informing what's happening. Uh, symmetry is the word I'm looking for. That set up symmetry, which I think is also somewhat recalls this idea of mutually assured destruction and kind of Cold War escalation that the episode is kind of about, in that like each side does a bunch of things once. Um one of the repetitions, and this one is 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 uh, not as neatly divided from side to side, is I, I'm just remembering Boudreaux putting the American flag pin on his lapel, and we haven't even talked about which we need to talk about because it's really important. The scene where Boudreaux has to get his American flag pin close enough to the security system so that they can find out what brand of security system it is, so that they can hack it, right? Um, which is so rooted in in oh so many things that are happening in this episode. It's just it's so it's it's one of the more elegant things to happen in the episode. But what I want to say is that when the when the missiles knock out the satellites, right? There's like the failure of all the video feeds. That also happens to Baron von Mustache sitting at his right. desk, right? All right, his video right, feeds right. go out. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where where the associates of Baron von Mustache sweep Boudreaux for bugs in a very lackadaisical kind of way, in a way that goes like, you know, and then doesn't really doesn't really. By do the much. way, why does why does everyone not automatically check everyone's ears? <laughs> if, they, if this technology is widely in use, <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> it's the yeah. first thing I would ever do if I'm a, in a coverty kind of situation because I've watched a lot of Twenty Four, and there's always a fucking tiny, effing tiny con <laughs> unit in the ear. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, Eric, wait, what were you gonna say? <laughs> no, I I agree. I mean, maybe you know they're worried they'll offend them for you know maybe they don't want to offend like the deaf who might have a hearing aid in there <laughs> you're saying that it's an ada thing that they're not they're not yeah. permitted by the ada which yeah. is enforced this situation to like penalize employees for wearing yeah. covert earpieces because it in might the, be a hearing aid yeah. See, if this were a 24 uh season uh, a 24 episode season of 24 that would be like a whole plot line that would be in there <laughs> is that there's some member of the cabinet who wants to like round up all people with hearing aids and put them into camps because yeah. they're like uh, like slipping through it, is, it makes it harder to like do anti 
anti anti surveillance technology. Yeah. <laughs> right, and then he went, but but he learns a lesson by the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So so, but the other time this happens is when Audrey's uh, Chinese, like Hong Kong Chinese contacts. Right or the ones that the no, no people in the Politburo who have the British accents, they sweep her for bugs. And what right. that sort of does is it sets up kind of like a it's a red herring because it sets up that these people are another sort of symmetrical base of power mm-hmm. similar to Baron von Mustache's. Uh, so there's a sublimity to it because at the same time it's like these people are powerful just like Baron von Mustache's troops who are all dead and then, <laughs> and then they're all dead, right? Um, and so there's a symmetry between what Jang's man is doing to Audrey's friends mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it's related to what Jack and Kate are doing to Baron von Mustache's friends, right? And so like those two sides are escalating the sort of secret assassination of your household staff. Right. Well, like, yeah, but I don't think the death of Baron von Mustache, that was not intentional, right? Or oh, I... well, how much of what happens is intentional? The captain did not on his own volition, didn't act on his own volition, right? Right. Like, was right. it a necessary consequence of what happens? That's an interesting thing. Like, Jack doesn't seem to get mad at Mark for killing Baron von Mustache. Let's, let's talk about the, the fight. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, talk yeah, about the, the, fist, yeah, the fisticuffs the fight. The wrestle fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wrestle fight between Baron von Mustache and Mark. Bar- by all rights, Baron von Mustache, being an elite covert operative, <laughs> should yeah. probably be able to dispatch the chief of staff, even if he is Tate Donovan. Um, but Tate Donovan is acting, what, for, out of necessity, I guess, right? He's like mm-hmm. the old lady lifting the car to try to get the baby out from under it. Um, and he, he sort of lashes out at him. Um, what, what do you think? I mean, so that, to me, the first thing that jumps out to me in saying that is Jack Bauer tells him to stay low. Yeah, but it right. sort of implies anything you can do to, like, hinder him would be helpful. And it seems like what Jack is really suggesting in that scene is, if you want to sacrifice yourself for the sake of this mission, like, it kind of would be called for, because this is kind of your fault. Uh, <laughs> or more like, also because it's like, um, because, you know, I don't like you, and I don't really have a problem with you dying. It kind of seems like <laughs> the natural consequence of things at this point. But, but interestingly, what Mark does when he hears the instruction to get low is that he goes from the wall to the window. <laughs> he does go from the wall to the window. He does, he does. That's true. <laughs> Oh, this is the opposite. That's why he died. If he had gone from the window to the wall, everything would have been okay. Yeah, right. Well, because like so, so because when uh, when Mark is responding to Jack in the car and tells him, "I'm doing this for the because I love the country," I think what Mark is saying is like, "You think that I am like somebody? You think it's one way, but it's the other way. I'm like you." Right. And it's like there's a lot of people in 24 who are sort of dark mirrors of Jack Bauer that he sort of runs up against and then has to sort Mm -hmm. of deal with. Like everybody from uh, Henderson, right, the Robocop Jack Bauer to uh, (laughs) – Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tony Almeida when he's like the sort of – either when he's the sort of with hair good guy Jack Bauer or the without hair bad guy Jack Bauer, right? Um, The Renee Walker who is the sort of like uh, I want to make out with her Jack Bauer (laughs) – um, that kind of thing, like from his perspective. She, she's the Jack Bauer in your um in your improv class, like the attainable girl. <laughs> oh God! It's, uh, a, it's a kaleidoscope of Jack Bauer. It right? is. Yeah. There's a lot of different evil Jack Bowers, or like there's a lot of bizarro Jack Bowers, and and Mark is making a play. It's his only play, really. To okay. say, I'm also a bizarro Jack Bauer. Well, see? okay. See, here's the thing. I'm gonna make a analogy to uh, Street Fighter. Uh, okay. If that helps. Sure. Um, Thanks for preparing. So you us. have you have Ryu and Ken, mm-hmm. you know, who are who are you know kind of the good guys, and you know, and then there are two other characters at least who have their powers, and there's I, 
I think like Akuma, who's like the demonic version of them. Yes. And then there's Dan, right. who is like Ryu and Ken, except his powers have like no range and do no damage, and he's super lame. Right. And I think Mark, if Mark is a Jack Bauer, he is the Dan version of Jack Bauer. Oh, yeah, he's like a parody Jack Bauer. He is. He is like a parody Jack Bauer. I think he's making a play to be more serious. Well, what this recalls to me is the earlier moment when they were both describing the conversations that they'd had with, uh, like, with Audrey. Uh, mm-hmm. To different people, and they both lied about what what was said, right? Like, like Jack lied to. Oh no! So Jack lied to uh, Mark about his conversation with Audrey, which was a lot more intimate than it turned than he than he said it was. And Mark lied to Audrey about his conversation with Jack and about what Jack said, right? And there's been this symmetry between Mark and Jack that's happened, that's been sort of peeking up here and there, and you get the sense that Mark kind of thinks of himself as capable of these sorts of things, of, of Jackness, of extreme measures, of getting his hands dirty. And that this is the episode where they pose the question, is Mark actually capable of bowering up a situation? And he proves yes, because he's able to wrestle with Baron Von Mustache, get him through a plate glass window, action movie. He has the most action movie-ish thing possible. He grabs the guy's hands when he has a gun, like slams it <laughs> up against stuff, right, and then pushes him through uh, candy glass so that he and then like rolls around on the ground and he gets cut yeah. in his face, right? And in um, fact, like the bowering it up of like you know by by doing what you need to do to survive, right? It's this interesting thing, right? And then in these like one on one situations about with someone who has information, you first have to survive your you you have to pres- preserve yourself, protect yourself because you need to be able to keep moving forward and asking the questions. Right. But then right. you very as a very close second need to preserve the life of the, of your target so that you can ask them questions. But almost always, you know that the the first imperative you know like there a a dead interrogator is no good right so that by having to protect yourself very it's you know very often that then you have to take a kill shot or a almost fatal shot um and you you know you either take out the person uh or somebody else takes out the person or you wound them and they and you get not quite enough information right so that like mm-hmm. in some ways we talked a little bit about one of the things that propels us forward uh is is never quite succeeding in in the immediate objective and then that creates the next problem so in some ways mark did an ultimate amount of bowering both in the actual action figure ishness of it um but also in the um in the in the way that it kind of um that it that it he both preserves himself and kind of keeps then the balls in the air uh with respect to um to to solving the problem and then getting the information that's needed yeah Mm -hmm. he's also bowerish in the way that he convinces baron von mustache to trust him because he's he because he describes himself as as making his only play and not having any time, right? right. It's like yeah. I have no time. This is the only thing that I can do. And he, he by and I think this is what I mean by in terms of sort of going upstream or downstream against the theme of the episode. He convinces Baron von Mustache that uh, that this is happening by necessity and not by design. And right. by, when it happens by necessity, and then he also paints the picture of what other events will cascade from this. But of course, he paints a picture of if you do nice things for me, then nice things will happen to you. And everybody that that is said to in this episode, bad things happen to, right? Like um, this idea of like Jack trying to protect the president, and it hasn't really been successful. And in fact, he has a terrible fatal disease, and everything is bad. And like you know, Audrey's old friend from you know 
sleepaway camp or wherever it is they hung out together at the trade conference, right? And then Mark saying, very much as, oh, I'll help you. No, this is not about I'll help you and then you'll help me back. This is about like you did wrong to me and now I'm going to do something wrong to you. Uh, and right. so he sort of – he hands him one and he switches it and he gives the other. But just that idea of like Jack Bauer tries to persuade so many of people of things by saying, it's our only play. There isn't any time. I thought about that thing that you just suggested and it's not going to work, right? Like uh, it's, it's a very Bowerian negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I got, do we want to talk about the idiot line? Yeah, let's talk that about connects, it. That yes. connects with this. What, what, you guys champ at the bit. Jump up. What, what do you have to say about it? I will start by I just like anything where Mark is kind of made to look stupid. Right, and right, right. Like you know, I think Jack was just saying what we all were thinking. I'm, I don't know. I think another piece of it when part of what why I, I joked about him, you know, the, it seemed like the next thing he would say is um, you know, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself is that it it felt like very kind of big brotherish. Yes. Um right, it was like idiot like yeah um, yeah and and it was in and you i think saw this previously in um i mean it's it's interesting like right when there you have the triangle that's mark audrey uh maybe you know mark audrey uh, jack you don't it's not as obvious but in the in the triangle that is mark uh, Mark Jack and President Heller, you see oh, yeah. this kind of sibling rivalry uh, mm-hmm. dynamic um, and this kind of competing for the affections of, of a father, um, of, a, of a father or father figure. Um, and so I think that that um, is, is really interesting because they're both trying to, right, as, as you say, as you said, Pete, that, you know, um, Mark used very like Bowerian justifications as well of like, it's this interesting thing where um, we've talked about this, I think er- much, much earlier in the day, how, how much earlier I feel like it was just like when the, I, you know, I could still taste the Chipotle on my lips, um, you know, and shortly after our lunch break um, of, of um, you know, that Jack, always seems to you know when jack breaks the rules and when jack goes rogue when jack gets his hands dirty it's because he is right about what's going on or has the right intentions and is guided by whether it's his reverence for the constitution or for the office of the president um but when then other people say that and they say we're doing what's right for the country um that that somehow that they are are wrong or misguided um, and, and, and Mark was the big one of that this, um, uh, the, this, this uh, season. Um, but that, you know, that's, that rhetoric uh, is very similar to what, you know, every member of a conspiracy always says. Yeah. Right? Uh, that, that I was doing what was right for the country, and that's why I needed to assassinate the president. And that's mm. why we needed to sell nerve gas to terrorists <laughs> and so on and so forth, right? Yeah. It's a question of whether we believe him or not. One th- one thing that strikes me, and I guess that's been one of the questions throughout the whole thing, is that, you know, Mark, he looks like a mole, he talks like a mole. Speaking of, hey, we have a mole with us right now. We can ask him. Um, like, whether, Eric, whether he thought, Eric, did you think Mark was a mole? Um, I thought... <sighs> Yes, Mark was a mole, but takes like, one to know one. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> um, I mean, he kind of just sort of stumbled into the role of being a mole, though. Like, I don't think he, you know, it was sort of he's an accidental mole, right? Yeah. Well, there's one thing about Mark that we haven't really brought up, uh, which just occurs to me now, which is as much as anyone else in the show, Mark has the same haircut that Jack Bauer has. 
Um, if you actually, if you actually, we've talked a lot about haircuts. We've talked about them both on the 24 podcast uh, here recapping and also on our Game of Thrones podcast as the haircuts of Jamie Lannister converged with various other characters and diverged from others. Um, but Mark has the same receding hairline and the same kind of part that Jack Bauer has, although I think that, uh, he parts it the other way. I'm like looking for a picture of Jack to see, um, well, Jack kind of wears his widow's peak down the middle a little bit Mm -hmm. and, and Mark kind of wears it swept off to the left a little bit but there's a couple looking at pictures of the two of the meeting there's some places where the line of their receding hairline is really cast into symmetry right by yeah. by the scenes that they're in and so yes but mark never dresses like jack and that's the that's the catch right is that there have been times over the course of the show where kate mm. has dressed like jack to show to really clarify to the audience well there's times where she's dressed like kim dresses and there's times where she dresses like jack dresses right and it's like when she's being victimized she dresses like kim and when she's being heroic she dresses like jack right um and uh right, but mark's always in the, in the tie right yeah like in a suit yeah. tie or some version of like business cash yeah right? and even when he fights uh, Baron, von, Baron von Mustache, he doesn't take his uh, his suit off, um, yeah. right? So there, there, but there's always this this question as to whether he's really capable of bridging that gap and acting like Jack Bauer. And when you say, oh, when he's like, oh, you idiot, that to me speaks of an expectation that like Jack Bauer expects better of right. Mark Boudreau. Even though Mark Boudreau, he's like, you're a traitor and you've sold me out and I was almost killed and all these other terrible things are happening, he still expects better of him. Uh, and there's right. something about him that intuitively understands that he's capable of better, even if he doesn't really think that on some level he doesn't really respect him. Well, he, I guess he begrudgingly ex- respects him. He doesn't want to respect him because it's very inconvenient to respect him. Because well, I guess and part of that is is that like Jack, you know, by Jack, like almost begrudgingly or by inaction allowed him to like continue to be with Audrey. Right. Because like mm-hmm. part of this is like Jack is like if Jack wanted to, Jack can make that happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes. And so, so that Jack, you know, uh, in in the even though Jack withheld information um, when he was talking um, uh, uh, to Mark about the conversation with Audrey, ultimately, I mean, he even said, right, he made the decision to say, you know, something like, you know, she said uh, you were good, she said you were good to her, uh, or something like that, and and so that he that was his version, um, you know, both in what he communicated to Mark and what he communicated to uh, Audrey of of giving his permission. Um, for their relationship to continue, <laughs> because like all he needs to do, uh, right? Uh, it, it, you know, it'd be very small, a small leap from Jack getting Audrey to say, "I could never hate you," to saying, "I love you," right? Right, right, right. Uh, and so it's it's interesting, and so I I feel like part of that is like. Um, him, you know, his, the you idiot is like, ah, oh, like, you know, okay, I thought you were, I, I was going to let it be with you and Audrey and not, you know, actively muck it up as opposed to just passively puck it, muck it up by my being the more desirable version of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and Mark, Mark couldn't even deal with that, you know? No, cause he's kind of petty and. <laughs> But I mean, the question is, who's going to rescue Audrey from Chang next time? Well, I think if you guys check the time, you'd realize that the big question is, is the cold brew coffee done? Oh. I think it might be time for the final reckoning, guys. I think it might be time for us to unlock this door, head back upstairs to the control center slash kitchen, and confront the final revelations around the cold brew coffee. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's it's it's our only play. 
All right. So, Eric, you walk in front of us. Okay. Because we still know you're a mole. We like the work that you did on this interpretation, and we're very glad that you enjoyed the orange slices and the honey and all that other I, good I did, stuff. I did. All right. But you're still a mole, so don't try <laughs> anything funny. And we're okay. going to walk up these stairs real slow, and when we get up to that room, I'm sure that the only thing that we're going to see is delicious, finished, acid-free cold brew coffee. Right, Ryan? Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm expecting to see very very clearly. All right, Ryan, pull the door unlocking lever. <laughs>